Father, we thank you for this awesome day. Jesus, we thank you for your word that it is living, it is active, it is true. And we ask that you would speak to us through your word. Holy Spirit, touch our hearts and our minds. Open our hearts and minds to receive more of who you are, Lord. As we wait for you, as we worship you, as we surrender to you, as we give our all to you. Jesus, we thank you and praise you that you are our good and great shepherd. Move in our hearts today, and it's all for your glory, and it's in your name we pray, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. You all may be seated. Welcome to the church at Woodbine. First thing we're going to do, and I did this at day camp, so you got to pay attention. Our worship team today, Josh and Steph and Hutch, let's give them a hand. Oh, pay attention, give them a hand. All right, let's give them a round of applause. Very good. I did it with the kids. You guys are sharper than the kids. I'm going to have to tell the kids that. No, yesterday afternoon, Ilanka called me up. She goes, Doug, everything's good, but it's not good. And I was like, oh, what's going to happen? All of her kiddos and she are sick. And so she says, I've already talked with everybody. We stripped down the worship team. It's going to be kind of an acoustical set. And so Hutch and Steph and Josh, thank you guys so very much for just stepping in and leading us in worship this morning. And yeah, it was very sweet. And uh, I don't know about you, but just the power of Holy Spirit. When we gather as a body, if we're two or three or for 2,000, 3,000, Jesus promises that his presence is with us when we gather in his name. So welcome each and every one of you. We're so glad that you're here. I got a question for you as we move into the life of David. And we've been talking about a real faith, a real heart, a real threat. Today, a real relationship. And I wish I had a picture of one of my best friends growing up. But here's my question for you. What is the definition of a true friend? When you think of a true friend, what comes to mind? Now, it could be somebody. But think about it. What makes a true friend? Their faithfulness, their commitment, their humility, their integrity, their ability to listen, to encourage. My prayer after today, and I'm going to pray for you, I'm going to pray for me, is that God would give us in our lifetime. And for some of you, I mean, we're little, like Ezekiel's just five years old. We got a bunch of littles downstairs in our nursery. Some of us have had several moons on this earth. And we're actually getting to the finish line. But my prayer for all of us is that we would find the Jonathans and Davids in our life. You might be wondering, what does that mean? In Spanish, it was easier. We could just say the Juanitas, okay, which is the female version of Juan. But it's finding that man or that woman, same sex that you are, where you guys can become so knit together as friends through thick and thin that you will be able to lift them up. They will be able to lift you up. And I'm not talking about any type of erotic relationship. I'm talking about a brotherhood and sisterhood where you can find someone where God gives you that friendship that is so deep that it will be like what we're going to see today between Jonathan and David. So before we dive into that, I got a story to share with you. I probably shared this story. I'm going to have to think of some new ones. I was in third grade. Where we lived growing up, we had about 10 acres and then another 400 around our house. And we don't know who the owners were of those 400 acres, but they let us hunt, fish, and play. And one day, one of my best, well, my best friend at the time came over to hang out for a couple hours after school. 
And right before his mom showed up, my mom told me, I can still remember, I was sitting watching TV cartoons. We were kind of waiting. She says, Doug, don't, she called me Dougie, don't go out in the backfield because your friend's mom is going to be here in a few minutes and we don't want you to get lost. We don't want to be waiting on you. Yes, ma'am. Five minutes later, where are we out? Man, we're in the back backfields with our play guns playing Army. We had this bright-eyed, bushy-hit, we had this bright-eyed idea that, hey, if we stayed out there long enough, maybe... Billy could spend the night. So we're out there playing. And I can hear my mom within minutes. Doug, Billy. Oh, we didn't hear a thing. We're just two boys. And you guys know the deal. The more boys you put together, the more their IQ exponentially decreases. It's just true. We stayed out there. We kept going further back till we got to the interstate. And we're walking this gravel road. The interstate's several yards away. And this little 10-year-old says, hey, let's see if we can throw a rock and see if we can get it to the road. We do. It's getting dark. We throw a rock and it hits a semi-trailer. Oh, man, let's try to hit these trucks. I mean, we are sharp as tacks, aren't we? So we're standing there trying to throw rocks, trying to be hidden, but throw rocks at these trucks going by. Because we figured if we hit a car, that would be dangerous. But if we hit the back end of a semi-trailer, there's no glass. Driver's not going to know. After a good 30, 45 minutes, it's almost dark. I see my dad's truck pass by, and he was coming from the hospital. And I'm like, that's my dad, duck. And so we hide. He sees us. He pulls over. He helps us climb over the fence. We get in his truck. As we're heading home, there's police cars everywhere. There's a couple guys with four-wheelers in our front yard. And dad was explaining the whole neighborhood, which wasn't much of a neighborhood, is looking for you two. I was in the middle of surgery and your mom called and I came home. What were you doing? And I said, we're counting cars. (laughs) I just didn't share the other half. How many cars we hit? I mean, I lied. And I'll never forget sitting in the front end of that pickup truck. We're counting cars. And my friend said, Doug, I think we better tell the truth. I thought I was going to die. A true friend. Through thick and thin. They will listen. They will encourage. They will support. They will confront. They'll get in your face and rebuke you. Listen to you get up under you and think more of you than themselves and lift you up. That's the type of friends we need to find. That's the type of friends we need to be. It's not about, oh, I need to find me a friend. Yes, but it's also how can I be a friend in that way to others? Right here, 1 Samuel chapter twenty. Yuri read it. Yuri, thank you for reading, reading in Korean. She read chapter 20, verses 41 through 42. We're going to read these two verses again, and then we're going to jump ahead to chapter 18. But let's stand again if you can. You don't have to, but if you can, please stand. 1 Samuel chapter 20, verses 41 and 42. In the Old Testament, sometimes you get these long verses. You know, I love to memorize the short verses. Jesus wept. Pray always. But could you imagine trying to memorize these two verses here? Woo! When the servant had gone, David got up from the south side of the stone as 
fell face down to the ground and paid homage three times. Then he and Jonathan kissed each other and wept with each other, though David wept more. Jonathan then said to David, Go in the assurance the two of us pledged in the name of the Lord when he said, when we said, the Lord will be a witness between you and me and between my offspring and your offspring forever. Then David left and Jonathan went into the city. You all may be seated. If you jump over to chapter 18 and we'll read chapter 18, not the whole chapter, but we'll read the first couple verses of chapter 18. Right there in chapter 20, we'll look at it, but it's Jonathan and David And David got up and he paid homage and bowed three times and they kissed each other and wept. And then Jonathan said, you know, my commitment to you and you to me, not only us two, but our offspring forever. Okay, what in the world? What's going on? Right here in chapter 18. So we go back a couple of chapters. Chapter 18, verses one through four. It will be up on the screen. When David had finished speaking with Saul, Jonathan was bound to David in close friendship and loved him as much as he loved himself. Saul kept, kept David with him from that day on and did not let him return to his father's house. Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as much as himself. Note that phrase. Then Jonathan removed the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his military tunic, his sword, his bow, and his belt. Last week, if you're here, we talked about David and Goliath one of the most well-known stories of the Old Testament. After David killed Goliath and the the Israelite army slaughtered the Philistine army, it was a great victory. And I know for some of us, when we talk about wars and battles and killing, it's like, whoa, what about Jesus? All scriptures God breathed. And it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. That was a lot. Did I speak English? All scripture is useful for teaching rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Old Testament and new. We take the Old Testament stories and literature and wisdom and psalms and prophecies, and it's for our benefit, as Paul says to the Corinthians and the Roman church. Right here in chapter 18, David had just, well, God through David, brought an incredible victory to the Israelites. And after the victory, Saul, King Saul, summons David into his presence. And if you remember, Saul had been king in Israel for years. But because of his constant, continual disobedience, the Lord ripped away the kingdom from Saul. Saul knew it. And the Lord told Saul that he would give the kingdom to someone else, a man after God's own heart. We don't know if they knew that David had been anointed king yet or not. We don't think so. David is just a teenager, 16, 17 years old, maybe 18. And he's brought into King Saul's presence. And it says right here in verse one, Jonathan was bound to David in close friendship. And it says twice in this little passage, Jonathan loved him, loved David as he loved himself. And he made a covenant. He made a bond with David right here in this moment. And we're going to look at what that means. But what is happening? Who is Jonathan? Jonathan is the the crown prince of Israel. He is Saul's firstborn. In any type of kingdom, Jonathan would be next in line to be king. Jonathan is older than David. He's not a teenager. 
He's a young man, probably in his 20s. He's a military warrior. If you read the first Samuel, if you read the previous chapters, God has already brought victories to Israel through Jonathan. He's a man of integrity. He's a man of faith. He's committed to his country and to his father. And the people respect Jonathan. They know Jonathan and they're expecting Jonathan to be the next king. And here in this moment, as Jonathan is standing there watching his father praise David and seeing David who killed Goliath, that can be an immediate threat. And instead of becoming jealous of David and suspicious of David and feeling undermined by David because Saul at that moment is pouring all of himself into David, he doesn't let David leave his presence anymore. David is is going to become a mighty military man within the army. And instead of becoming jealous of David, what does it say? He makes a covenant with David. He loves David as himself. And then it says that he gives him his robe. That's authority and sonship. He gives him his military tunic, his sword, and his bow. What is Jonathan doing? As the crown prince of Israel, he is submitting himself to this teenager. And I imagine maybe the Holy Spirit has already revealed to Jonathan, you won't be king. And maybe the Holy Spirit had already told Jonathan, I will reveal to you who the king will be. We don't know that. That's all speculation. But we see this integrity and this humility in Jonathan where instead of growing jealous and suspicious of David in competition, he submits to David and he actually becomes his best friend. And he gives David his very military equipment and his robe, which is part of being the crown prince. It is yours. And they make a covenant together right there on the spot. And many theologians believe that Jonathan began to disciple David as a military commander. And from chapter 18 until Jonathan is killed, because Jonathan is killed with his brother several years later, we see this friendship of Jonathan and David. Jonathan and David. And throughout chapter 19 and then in chapter 20, David rises in ascendance. All the people of Israel love David. They even began to sing this phrase, Saul has killed his thousands, but David his ten thousands. And King Saul becomes very jealous of David, becomes resentful of David, suspicious of David, and tries to kill David several times. Guess who defends David? Guess who speaks up for David? Guess who protects David? Jonathan. Can you imagine the stress and pressure that Jonathan is under? His very father, the one who he is supposed to follow and become king, is trying to kill his best friend. And David stands in the middle of both of them, protecting Jonathan, staying faithful to his father, and yet rebuking his father. Can you imagine that stress? Can you imagine that tension? 
Can you imagine the pressure that Jonathan felt for years as he was committed to this friendship much stronger than his blood kinship with his father? Now that's friendship. The word is covenant, which means bond. And usually with the covenant, especially in scripture, there's always a blood sacrifice. Jonathan and David had this covenant with one another. And we see it here in chapter 20 in verse 41 and 42. We saw it here and it might be strange. We'll stand again and read these two verses again. 1 Samuel chapter 20, verses 41 through 43. It'll be on the screen. When when the servant had gone, David got up from the south side of the stone Ezel, fell face to the ground and paid homage three times. How many? Three, three times. Hmm, three is a biblical number. Hmm. Then he and Jonathan, they kissed each other and they wept over each other. David wept more. Jonathan then said to David, go in the assurance that two of us pledged in the name of our Lord, the Lord, when we said, the Lord be witness between me and between you, between my offspring and your offspring forever. How long? Forever. Then David left and Jonathan went into the city. You all may be seated. What's happening here in this story? There was what they call a new moon festival. And Saul, King Saul, had already tried to kill David at least once. David is on the out. He is. He has the the people love David. The king hates him. David has had to flee. And there's this festival here in chapter 20. It's described, the New Moon Festival. And it's a religious holiday. It's a festival there in Israel. And all the king's warriors and captains and generals should be at this festival with King Saul. The very first day, David doesn't show up. He's not there. So King Saul thinks, "Ah, maybe something's wrong. Maybe he's impure. He can't be here. Who knows? Before the festival, David told Jonathan, I will not go, I cannot go, because your dad, your father, wants to kill me, and I will not go. And Jonathan is hemming and hawing, "Ah, are you sure he wants to kill me? My father's not going to kill you if he would. He would let me know because I'm, I'm, I'm the crown prince. And David tells Jonathan, no, no, no. He knows that our hearts are bonded together. He knows that you protect me. And your father knows that if he tells you, you'll tell me and I won't show So David doesn't go, but they concocted this plan. And Jonathan tells David, here's what we'll do. I will find out what my father's intentions are. So on the second day, you hide behind this rock. I'll go out to a field and I'll shoot three arrows and I'll take a servant boy with me. And as the servant runs out to get the arrows, if it's safe, I'll tell you, aren't they right there by you? But if it's not safe, if I realize that my father wants to kill you, I'll tell the servant, they're further on, you go. And that's exactly what happens. Jonathan goes out, shoots the arrows. He tells the servant boy to go get them. And he tells them, they're beyond you, go. David is hiding by the rock that we just read, the rock Ezel. The servant collects the arrows. Jonathan gives him the bow and the servant leaves. Has no clue David's there. And then David comes out and you see, paying homage, aren't we only supposed to worship God? No, it's out of respect. Yes, we are to worship only God. It's out of respect. 
You see, because this relationship that Jonathan and David had, it wasn't just the one-way street where Jonathan was protecting and pouring himself in to love David, but David himself was loving Jonathan, supporting Jonathan. They were bound together as brothers. There's a proverb. It's Proverbs 18.24. It says, "One One with many friends may be harmed, but there is a friend who stays closer than a brother. Jonathan and David were not blood brothers, but their friendship, they were united. When Jonathan finally died, David lamented and said, your love, Jonathan, was sweeter than the love of a woman. Now, again, many times we will read our culture into that culture when we see these two, when they weep and they kiss each other. There's nothing erotic with that relationship. In the New Testament, we're commanded in almost every epistle at the end to greet each other with a holy kiss. Now, I'll kiss one woman in here. It's my wife. But I didn't see any of you guys kissing each other when we had the meet and greet earlier when we were passing the peace. Aren't we supposed to be biblical? Well, it's not our culture. We don't do that here. Sometimes I get rebuked when I come up with some of my friends here because I still get confused with how you're supposed to greet here in the United States. Because, see, I come up with my hand like this. Hey, man, what's up? And some of my friends are like, dude, I want a hug. I'm like, that's what I'm trying to do. Because in Mexico, you do kind of this weird handshake, and then you hug, and then you handshake again. For those who don't know, I lived in Mexico for 20 years. And so sometimes it's a little awkward with some of the greetings. If you're from another culture here in the States, you might find it a little awkward with some of the greetings. Do I kiss on the cheek? Do I give a hug? Do I do a side hug? Like, just a handshake? How does this work? These two men loved each other more than life. And they were committed to one another and the well-being of one another completely. They were willing to lay their lives down for one another. Why? Because their friendship stuck closer than a brother. They wept and it says David wept more. Why? Because he knew that he would probably never see Jonathan again. David had to flee. And I can imagine that David knew what was coming to Jonathan. After chapter 20, Saul pursues David several times. David had two opportunities to kill King Saul, and he forgave. In the midst of all this, in 1 Samuel chapter 23, there is one verse, and this is just a few days before Jonathan is killed in battle. David had been fleeing. The Philistine army is rising up again. Saul is pursuing David. He wants to kill David. He's so distracted because of his hate and jealousy. Jonathan knows where David is. And so in secrecy, Jonathan goes and finds David. And this is what it says. David was in the wilderness of Ziph and Horish. When he saw that Saul had come out to take his life, Then Saul's son, Jonathan, came to David and Horish and encouraged him in his faith in God, saying, don't be afraid. Look at Jonathan's words. Don't be afraid. Now, Jonathan, I mean, David is being pursued. He's by the father. He's going to be killed, executed. But Jonathan's like, don't be afraid. For my father, Saul, will never lay a hand on you. Look at that prophecy. Look at that encouragement. 
You yourself will be king over Israel. And I love this faith from Jonathan. It doesn't happen. Well, look what Jonathan says. And I'll be your second in command. This is coming from the crown prince. This is coming from the one who should be king. Jonathan stays faithful to his father, yet more faithful to his friend David, the anointed king of Israel. And I'll be your second in command. Even my father Saul knows it is true. Then the two of them made a covenant in the Lord's presence. Afterward, David remained in Horish while Jonathan went home. Very shortly after that, Jonathan is killed in battle. That was the last time they saw each other on this planet. You see, Jonathan epitomized what will be written centuries later. Philippians chapter 2. Verses three and four. This is what Paul wrote to the Philippian church when Paul was in jail. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition but or conceit, but in humility. In what? In humility. Consider others more important than yourselves. Everyone should not look out to his own interest, but rather to the interests of others. And then Paul goes into that amazing ancient hymn, In Philippians chapter 2, 5 through 11, we we won't recite it or say it here. But he says, we should have the mind of Christ, who being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God to be something to be grasped. But he emptied himself voluntarily, becoming a servant, becoming a man, becoming obedient to his Father's will, even obedience to death on the cross. Therefore, God raised him up so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Do nothing out of ambition or out of vain conceit, but in humility consider others more important than yourselves. Lift them up. It starts in our homes, with our parents, with our children, with our spouses, with our roommates. It then flows out to our workplace or to our school with our fellow students, our teachers, our coworkers, our bosses, our supervisors, our employees? How do we get under others and lift them up to encourage them, to support them, to think of their needs first? How do we do that? Well, we can't do it without the very presence and power of Jesus. I am very selfish. I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it and how I want to do it and why I want to do it. Me, myself, and I is the boat that I like to ride in or the car to drive. That is our culture. That is our world. One of the very first words children learn is what? Mine. We're sinners. Jesus didn't come to fix our heart. He came just to give us a new one. And one of the most amazing things that Jesus ever said, it's in John chapter 15. It's right before Jesus is killed. In John chapter 15, Jesus says, I call you friends. I do not call you servants anymore, even though that's what we are. We're slaves to Christ. But Jesus calls us friends. I've called you friends because I've made known to you everything I've heard from the Father. At time, from time to time, we'll sing that song, I'm a friend of God. Because Jesus humbled himself so much 
and died on the cross for your sins, for my sins, for the sins of the world. When we put our faith in Jesus, not only are we adopted as sons and daughters of the high king of the universe, but we also become his best friend. Now, my heart's not big enough to have more than one best friend, but God's heart, Jesus' heart, is big enough to have as many best friends as he wants. For him, it's easy. It says in the Old Testament that God has tattooed us on the palm of his hands. Now, God is spirit. This is figurative. But I wonder how many times we look at our palms every day. God loves us so much that not only has he adopted us as sons and daughters, but through Jesus, faith in Jesus, we are his friend. There is much that we can learn from this passage, and I want to invite the worship team up. But a couple of things, just a couple of thoughts is this. The power and importance of friendship. I'm sure you've seen the example. If I were to give you one pencil and ask you to break it, you snap it right in half. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. And we've been created for a relationship, first and foremost, with our Heavenly Father through our Lord Jesus Christ. But secondly, we've been commanded to gather together in groups. That's why we had Group Connect last week. That's why it's vital to be in groups, whether it's a Bible reading group, if it's a life group on Sunday morning, if it's a home group during the week. We cannot do this life alone by ourselves. But the power and importance of friendship, we cannot do it on our own. We need to walk with others, but that requires courage and humility and intimacy and time and a heart that is willing to serve and to be served, a heart that's willing to give and to receive. It requires to be honest and vulnerable and to confess our faults, to confess our weaknesses one to another, to pray for each other, to tolerate one another, even when the person is being an idiot to get in each other's face. One of my Jonathans, and I praise the Lord, I've got three or four Jonathans in my life, or maybe I'm the Jonathan and they're the David. But just one of the things in college that the Lord impressed upon me, and I challenge all of us here, if you do not have a Jonathan, and what I mean is a dear friend of the same sex who is committed to you through thick and thin, if you do not have one, pray that the Lord give you one. Men with men, women with women. It's nothing erotic, nothing romantic. It is a phileo, a brotherhood, sisterhood relationship where we would go to the very end and die for this person. If you don't have a Jonathan, pray that the Lord give you one, give you two or three, and pray that God make it clear who, what type of Jonathan you should be for that other person where they can call you up at three in the morning and you'll be at their house like that. Or if they see you sinning, they will get in your face. I've got two like that. Many of you know one of them. This dear friend of mine, if I'm doing something wrong, he will call me out. I've known him since he was six years old. We need friends like that who will listen to us. 
So number two is ask God to give you a Jonathan in your life and for you to be a Jonathan for someone else. Let us stand. And number three is how are life circumstances leading you to someone you need right now? I'm going to pray for us. As we worship, as we sing this last song, we'll have a couple people over here to my left, your right, at our next steps. They would love to pray with you. We've been commanded to do life together. May we be that Jonathan. May we be that David. Submitting ourselves to lift others up. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this awesome day. Jesus, thank you for the example of your forefather, David. How he and Jonathan were committed to one another. How they loved one another. How they encouraged each other. How they rebuked each other. How they had committed to each other for the other's well-being. How they sacrificed for one another. And Jesus, most importantly, we thank you that you have done the same for us. You are our Jonathan. You are the son of David. And you gave your life so that we might have life. And Father, for anyone here today that has not given their lives back to you, Jesus is Lord and Savior. May they do so. Jesus, you call us friends. Teach us and show us what it means that we are your friend and you are our friend. Glorify yourself in our lives today, Lord. And we ask these things in your precious name. Amen.